It's the journey we're on and all of the little things that happen on the way to our goals that really make the difference. We're going to continue with the pursuit. Welcome to episode three of Pursuing the Process. Uh, this is our first recording since the initial launch. And when you put something out for the first time, you really have no idea how it's going to be received. And it has been so fun to hear some of the feedback. So thank you, thank you, thank you to anybody who's given us a listen so far. What's been like for you, Todd, being an official podcaster? Oh, man, it's, it feels good. Um, you know, when you put stuff out in the universe, man, you kind of hold your breath and just, you don't really know what to expect. Um, and I have to tell you, it's been such a incredible experience to get the feedback, um, some great positive feedback, some good constructive feedback on how we can continue to improve these podcasts moving forward. But the mere fact that people are listening to it is just, to me, icing on the cake. John, you and I know this is a passion project of ours. And we said from the beginning, if we got a couple people to listen, we, we truly would be happy. And I, I genuinely believe that I mean that. But to see the support, I've got people asking me, when's episode three going to drop? I mean, I got to I gotta also give a shout out to the listeners and just say thanks for all the support so far. Please keep listening. Encourage others to listen. You know, I'll just give another plug. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We've got our Facebook page out there, Pursuing the Process. We've got our Twitter account, Pursuing Process. Um, so, you know, get connected however you'd like. I know it's a crowded space in podcasting, but I just love the fact that anybody would take some time out of their day to listen to you and I just yak back and forth. <laughs> the, uh, the cool part is we're getting some awesome guests and I know today will be the same. So yeah, it's, uh, we really it's, are. It's exciting. Yeah, it is grateful, exciting. And we truly mean it when we say, Hey, if you have feedback, positive, negative, we are very open. So reach out to us. We're learning as we go. We hope you get something out of it. But again, we're just out here having fun with it. Humbly. So, so let's hop into another one here today, but we're coming off of Halloween weekend here. Do we have any funny outfits? Do the boys dress up over at the Hall household? Well, of course, man. You, you know this because during the Toddcast, we talked last year about the uh, Hall family Halloween costumes. And last year, <laughs> last year was the family of Elvises. My then uh, three-year-old son was into Elvis. So we all dressed up as a family of Elvises. This year, it was about Toy Story. My four and two-year-old dressed up as Buzz and Woody, respectively. Uh, dad was Sid, the bad kid. That's me. And, uh, my wife, Heidi was Bo Peep. And then her dad, uh, was Rex the dinosaur. So <laughs> we had the whole theme going on, but I got to tell you, so the, the costumes were, were great. And, and I, I thought it was fun to be able to show those off. But, uh, we also do as part of this, we have, our community has a pumpkin festival every year. And, uh, with the pumpkin festival, people are encouraged to grab a pumpkin take it home, carve it and bring it back. And the whole thing is um, that these pumpkins get displayed for the whole community and those in the area to come look at these cool carvings. Well, of course, my wife and I get super carried away with this because we can't just carve a simple pumpkin with, you know, triangle eyes and, and jagged teeth. We got to use the costume theme we've created and do pumpkins around that. So last year we did an Elvis pumpkin and we used a stencil to carve that and um, we're very proud of that one. And it got profiled on the Facebook page for the, uh, pumpkin festival. 
Mm-hmm. So we thought we had hit the peak last year. Well, this year, of course, you got to do Toy Story pumpkins, right? So we're doing Buzz and Woody and we're getting them ready to go. My son, Ben, finds a Rex the dinosaur and a Jesse the cowgirl stencil. And he, she's, he's like, all right, you got to do all four of these. So he four pumpkins. And what we thought was going to be a quick hour-long project with the kids turns into a six-hour ordeal where my wife and I are carving pumpkins until midnight. I've got blisters. She's got carpal tunnel. And, you know, <laughs> it just was out of control. So we got to somehow rain in this pumpkin thing next year. But it was uh, still an awesome holiday. And the kids loved it. So I guess that's the most important thing. It absolutely uh, is. And, man, you do Halloween far different than I. Because you <laughs> yeah, are I so hear planned about, out with I want to hear about your <laughs> Halloween. I think we were prepping up to go to a Halloween house party that was immaculately done. And we're sitting around like, crap, we don't have costumes. Fortunately, my roommate walked into his room, pulled out a Santa Claus dress, a pumpkin costume, and a banana. So I ended up going as a banana. And I have never made friends easier because there was surprisingly a lot of fruit at this party. There was a watermelon, multiple bananas. I thought I was unique. And no. When you meet another banana across the room at a Halloween party, you are instantly friends. Dude, wait, what, so what was that encounter like? Did you guys like knuckle up together or what, what happened? High fives, hugs, yeah. banana bumps, if that's a thing. I mean, you oh, name it, we did man. it. <laughs> were you, sending, you were sending out the vibe, I take it. By oh, of course. Out. We were vibing. Yeah. We were dancing, shaking it oh, a little yeah. bit. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I love it. But it was also actually a celebration of love this weekend. So shout out to Connor and Brittany if you are listening because a couple friends got engaged and we were at a pumpkin patch and helped them get engaged by help not getting him down one knee but we were there to take pictures and help be a part of the surprise so wow always, always good to celebrate love i love the shout out too, connor and Brittany. congratulations that's exciting oh so good so today we are fortunate to have on a guest who has a special connection to a city that holds a spot in todd and i's heart lacrosse wisconsin as you know todd's hometown my college town and we're fortunate to talk to one of the best professors around who i was fortunate to study business under at lacrosse Vivek Pandey here with us today, born in Baltimore, a citizen of four countries, moved to India when he was nine, spent a period of time in college hustling on the streets of Baltimore, and then made his way into a powerful law firm where he had the guts to leave right before his partner track paid off to go into academia abroad. Now, this all paints quite the story, but it's actually the story within the story that we're digging in here today. So Vivek, thank you for being on with us. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. I'd like to correct something right out of the shoot. Uh, Vivek is not one of John's favorite professors. He is John's favorite professor, uh, as evidenced by some research that I did in anticipation of this podcast. I just all I did was Google Vivek's name, and I found a tweet from 2018 that had John profiled at UW Lacrosse uh, singing Vivek's praises. So <laughs> I just want to make sure everybody knows the respect that exists between these two individuals and i couldn't be more excited as well i've had a chance to get to know vivek a little bit here in preparation for the podcast and thank you so much for being on we are gonna have some fun together uh that is very true i had the fortunate pleasure to study on vivek and much respect so again thank you so kicking it off we mentioned mother from estonia father from india you have citizenship in four countries which is quite rare could you touch on that and even how that's shaped your upbringing yeah, there's always another place to run away to. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's well, I, mean, I was born in Baltimore. So at the time, I mean, I, I grew up in the early 70s in Baltimore. So these days, America is very multicultural. 
But at the time, I mean, Baltimore is very racially diverse. Well, not even that diverse. I mean, Baltimore was white or black. Um, and we were like one of the few, or at least I was one of the few brown kids around, the only brown kid in my high school, or my high school, I mean, in my school. So it was kind of unusual. So these days, America is very diverse and there's very, you know, a lot of Latinos and this, that, and the other. But in the early 70s, it was, it was people were kind of like, where are you from? And sort of hard to answer that question, especially in America. I can say, where are you from? Baltimore. And they're like, where are you really from? <laughs> Baltimore. Um, but people <laughs> just didn't quite understand. And so I guess it's good and bad. I mean, the, the good is you can kind of pretend to be from anywhere when, when you have that kind of a background. And even now when I travel, whenever I go to any country and people ask me, where am I from? I'm always trying to figure out <laughs> what, I, what I can make up and get away with or what country do people hate the least. Um, but <laughs> the, that's sort of the good side of it. I mean, the bad side of it is being multiracial. I mean, these days again, it's more common, but back then it was, so you kind of belong everywhere, but you really don't belong anywhere, you know, mm. um, which is a bit tough. You're kind of like always a little bit standing outside the party looking in. Um, but it makes you pretty, you know, you're one of a kind. I mean, I still joke. I'm the only Indo-Estonian on the planet other than my two sisters, so I'm I'm certainly unique, for better or worse. You know, when when you tell your story, Vivek, uh, inherently, the uh, subject of your dad comes up quite often. I'd love for listeners to, to get to know that aspect of your background and what your dad has taught you and the influence he's had on you. And I know there's been some uh, some struggles along the way, but I, I know mm-hmm. that um, that's a big part of your background in your life. So if you could share a little bit on that, that would be great. Yeah, um, my dad was a professor of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins University Medical School, which is always has been one of the best medical schools in the world. And my dad was <laughs> extremely bright and with a lot of extremely bright people, also quite a bit dysfunctional at times. Um, and John, you were talking about, about teaching. First of all, whatever teaching, however good I am, and I'm not going to speak about it, um, my students, I, I honestly cribbed stole a whole lot of that from my dad Um, because my dad at Hopkins and when we moved to India my dad was in charge he was a psychiatrist who was in charge of a teaching hospital the only psychiatric teaching hospital in the whole country of India and I I watched my father work it and he was really good he was an excellent teacher and what he did as a teacher was he especially in India where, you know, teachers are like worshiped as like demigods, you know, he was very, very approachable, <clears throat> very friendly with the students on a personal basis. I grew up, you know, with students in our house all the time and they would come over and they would drink endless cups of tea and talk and talk, not just about academic related things, but what was going on in the world. <clears throat> my dad was always really interested in my students as human beings like not just whether there would be good psychiatrists or whether there were good medical students, but you know, and it helped that he was a psychiatry professor and a psychiatrist. So he really understood like the link between like who people are and what they become. And I, I kind of see that myself as a professor. I mean, I teach, you know, business law and I teach business students. It's not really, it doesn't really have anything to do with grades. I mean, some students have really good grades or, going to be really successful and i have students who barely struggled through my class who are extremely successful 
but you kind of see there's sort of a bit of like an X factor or something in people. Vivek, you talked about how much you've taken away and learned from your dad, but I also understand that he wasn't always the easiest on you and he put in some stringent policies on where you're going to go to university and dictate a little bit of your life in that way. <laughs> well, I'll give you the backstory on that. Um, when I was in high school, he said I could only go to Harvard, Yale or Princeton or he wouldn't pay for college. And he was a psychiatrist at the time. So he made a fair amount of money. And I was so angry with him that, and this is the, and I don't mean to be arrogant. These days, of course, those schools are very tough to get into. But this is the early 80s when there was a little demographic lull. And so I actually could have easily gotten into all three of those schools. But I was so angry with my father that I deliberately, I turned in, I turned in, <laughs> I left pages blank on my application. I didn't turn an essay into Princeton, Harvard. I mailed it in late. They were calling my guidance counselor the whole time because they were actually trying to recruit me. And I just, when you're young, you do things, you cut off your nose to spite your face. And I was not going to go to any of those three schools. I also had a valid reason for not wanting to go to them. This is the early 80s. Things have improved in this country. But in the early 80s, they could be extremely discriminatory. And I knew people in my high school, you know, years ahead of me, who uh, well, there were very few minorities in my high school, but there were a few. And they were like, yeah, I went to Princeton and I sat by myself the whole time because I was excluded from everything. You were excluded from social clubs. You were excluded from, and I didn't want to be, I, I wanted to be kind of a normal kid. And so I was really, really in favor of going to public universities and no matter how good they were, UCLA, Berkeley, University of Virginia, Michigan, whatever. And my father was just, no. And not only Ivy League, I would have been happy with Cornell or Dartmouth, but no, that was, those were off limits too. So it, it, I'm telling you, I, I didn't speak to my parents for years. I also didn't help that I had two older sisters who were very goody-goody. And <clears throat> I was a rebel. And also, Todd, as you may discover, Sons, fathers and sons are a different relationship than fathers and daughters. So, and I was also the youngest. I was, I was the full on rebel. Yeah. So as a result of being a rebel, you selected the university of Virginia for your undergrad and in some ways struggled your way through that experience um, that you shared with, with John and me. Would you touch a little bit on what that was like having to kind of fend for yourself? Yeah, I mean, it's any poor student in this country knows. And again, again, things in America have changed a lot for the better, especially for. But when I started UVA, I got no support from my parents a little bit here and there. But we were really barely speaking. And I always joke, I started University of Virginia sleeping in my car, which is true. Um, and University of Virginia also, by the way, has a lot of very wealthy kids. So it was pretty rocky. And. I didn't qualify for financial aid because my father made a lot of money and they didn't, they didn't, the excuse that my parents are not paying for school doesn't cut it because they're supposed to. And uh, so I, I tried to sort of, at this point I was delivering pizza. I drove a bus for seven years at the University of Virginia. I waited tables. I bartended, I pumped gas. I delivered phone books. I worked in the dining hall. I worked, any job any human being can possibly work. I was working 70, 80 hours a week and trying to go to UVA at the same time. I was out of state at UVA and it, it just wasn't working. My first semester, I think 
think I passed one. I was still pre-med at the time too. I think I passed one class. Um, and then I just said, this is not going to work. And so I dropped out of UVA. Then they told me that I had to become independent and that I would be divorced from my parents' income. And the only way to do that was to drop out of school and live on my own for two years nonstop. And so I dropped out of UVA and went back to Baltimore and lived on the streets there for a while and did the same stuff, worked, 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 worked for two years barely to survive. Again, times have changed. These days, you know, it's much more back then if you were 18, 19 and, you know, Baltimore is a poor city. I mean, it's, it's not easy. I mean, it's not easy at all. I mean, yeah. What did that time teach you while you were working your ass off, working multiple jobs and just wasn't working, but you were trying to create better opportunities for yourself? That's, that's really the best experience in my life. Um, like I said, at the time, I was extremely angry at my parents for putting me through this. And really, to some extent, I really, not my mother, I, I really almost never really forgave my father for it. Um, but it was ironically one of the best experiences in my life. It made me extremely resilient and after that, nothing in life, including some horrible things that have happened to me, were ever that hard because I'd been through it all, really. Yeah, so to retrace your story, you graduated undergrad at University of Virginia. I need to throw this in. You did get your law degree from University of Wisconsin, one of the finest institutions in the entire universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, uh, and then went into this uh, legal career. Uh, out in LA, but you told me a really interesting story when we sat down last week about just some cautionary tales that kind of signaled to you that maybe a career in law wasn't going to be for you. Um, you told me a story of one of the guys at your firm who had retired, and I, I would love to—I would love for you to share that story about his retirement and then what you saw from him the next day after his retirement. Oh, yeah, and, and just what that—what to- yeah. that told you. Oh, I could tell you so many stories. Well, that, this is—I mean. He was a super nice guy and he was a corporate partner. I mean, so basically, you know, people who stay on at these firms and become part, I worked for, by the way, a bunch of really great partners. I mean, and I did not have the typical big law firm experience that people think that, you know, you're chained to your desk and the partners are whipping you and demanding that you (laughs) bail. No, I mean, the partners I work were with great, some of the smartest people I ever worked with, they were working their tails off so we were just overloaded with work but i can see how when you work so hard no matter how much money, first of all no matter how much money you make if you have no time to spend it and you have no time to hang out with your family you know it's not really a great lifestyle and then you could see people are just basically worked so long you know kind of like mules so the story that you're talking about there was this kind of senior corporate partner super nice guy i'm obviously not going to mention his name and uh, I don't know how long he had worked there, senior partner. And finally, you know, he retired and we had a party on Friday and, you know, the whole cake and happy retirement and jokes about, you know, what are you going to do and this, that and the other. And that was Friday. And then Monday morning, I'm sitting there and the door creaks open and there he walks in dressed in a suit and tie. And it's kind of like, what are you doing here? You <laughs> just retired. And then I realized and he came in like that every single day day in and day out for weeks and then poor fellow they shunted him out of his lovely corner office we used to actually jokingly call it the retired partners who don't know what to do office 
you know, and he just kind of sat there and shuffled papers all day. And it was really sad and no one was being cruel, but, you know, and so basically he didn't really know what else to do with his life. And that's what he had done for so long that he couldn't retrain <laughs> to be retired. Um, and other things, I mean, again, I think I told you about this and these are, tra this is a tragic story. There was a young partner I worked with and I'll, I'll say this, when I started at my law firm, there were, in my starting class in my law firm, it's a really giant, big law firm. There were 20, 30 of us just in the LA office alone. And everybody said the same thing, which is like, we're only going to do this for a couple of years. And then we're going to make a lot of money. And then we're going to take our money and go do something else and go have fun. And I was the only one who left. Um, and, you know, my girlfriend died. And that probably was what pushed me out the door. Everyone else, this is what happens. You're making a lot of money. And then you don't know really what to do with it. So then you buy a big house and then you have a big mortgage payment. And then, no, then you can't quit the big law firm job because you have the big mortgage payment. And then before you know it, you're on the treadmill in that rut and then you get, never get out. But so I had a young partner I worked with, super nice guy. And he knew, and I was not a malcontent at all. I love the work I did. I like the partners I worked for. I just didn't want to work 90 hours a week all the time, no matter how much they paid me. And so not only did my girlfriend die, but this younger partner died and he was terminally ill of cancer. And he, I still remember going and hanging out and talking to him. And I mean, I, he said, Vivek, get out. I mean, literally, that's what he said. He said, get out. He said, what else do you need? Your girlfriend died. I'm dying. You know, I'm telling you, <clears throat> you can always come back and get this job back. You know, you can always come back to this firm, you know, and, and it had a huge effect on me. Yeah. I actually mm. never ended up leaving. I took a leave of absence and I just actually never went back. <laughs> mm. I think so many people get caught up in that rut, like you mentioned, because we have goals, we have ambitions, and you view it as you want to get somewhere and you're working towards something. I think too often people in that working toward it where they lose track of their creativity or who they are as a person. How did you really keep your dreams alive or just have the guts to even leave when everyone else was staying the course and making money? Hey, save a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I tell you, I guess I can't beat around the bush since I mentioned it. I mean, my girlfriend who I met at UVA um, and dated for 10 years, my beautiful, awesome girlfriend, she was from L.A. That's one of the reasons we went out to L.A. She was also extremely successful. She was a, a computer person, and there are very few women in tech, period, these days, let alone back then in the early 90s. Um, and so <clears throat> basically, how did I have the courage to get out? Well, this beautiful girl died in my arms at age 29. And, you know, we had always joked that between her high-powered job and my high-powered job, that we would save a lot of money and we would retire at 35 and wander the world. You know, and then, I mean, life is short. And after she died, and then I told you this partner I knew died, and I was kind of like, you know what? That could be me next. And, you know, this is, I really wanted to take a break, but then I didn't. So I, I kind of really kind of, I, I don't want to sound braver than I was. I mean, I was still a little bit chicken shit about it. So I did take a leave of absence. I kept my apartment. And then 
make a long story short, after my girlfriend died, I met another girl and she was at UCLA at the time and she wanted to go abroad. And of course, I'm the one who has the international background. And so that's why I took the leave of absence. I'm like, okay, I loved California, I loved LA, but you know, I'm a citizen of so many countries and I really want to live abroad for a while. And so that's why I moved to Istanbul. And my running joke, I was telling my students is I moved to Istanbul for basically a two month holiday and stayed eight years. Um, and then what's funny is that, you know, you realize that, and this is what people need to, that you can do what it is you want to do. People sometimes are too scared to do it. And so they cling to like the safe job or I'm on the partner track. And, you know, if I take this wild risk and like move across the world, you know, I may be like, and that's where actually being living on the streets and stuff really helped me. It's like, well, I saw the worst that can happen being homeless and living in my car. And like, literally, I just remember one day in my life where I had literally a nickel in my pocket. That's all I had. So when you go through that, then nothing is that scary anymore. I mean, so what's the worst that can happen? I mean, and so, and then I moved to Istanbul and then presto, I got a job teaching at this that's the best private university in Turkey, you know? And then I realized that, Hey, you know, I mean, and I kind of tried, John, try to tell me if I'm not doing a good job, but in class say like, Hey, you can actually don't be scared to, I know it's a cliche, like chase your dreams, but you know, you can, and I'll give you another example. And this is a student of mine. Um, John, you know her, um, who, graduated from UWL and wanted to work for a nonprofit alleviating poverty in Central America, South America. You know who I'm talking about, you know, and wanted to live in New York. And I'm just like, yeah, wouldn't we all love to do that? You know, I mean, I think it's going to be a lot harder than you think to just, you know, graduate from UWL, move to New York and get a job like that. And, she proved me wrong. I mean, she got went moved to New York, got a job waiting tables on the side, interned at a nonprofit working to alleviate poverty in Central America and did a great job. And she got hired by them. And right now she is in Mexico City. And before that, she was in El Salvador. And she's made a great career out of doing it. And I, these days I shut up when students tell me that they have this dream or that dream, even if I think it's wildly unrealistic, because who am I to say? I mean, you know, you, you can do it. You, you really can. I don't mean to sound like a, a bad kind of inspiration, like cliche, but <laughs> basically if you don't, you might as well try and fail rather than not try at all. You know, what's the worst can happen? It doesn't work. Well, then whatever run of the mill thing that you were doing and that you were clinging to is probably always going to be there, you know, and especially John, these days, life has changed. Back then, I mean, I did take a bigger risk. These days, thanks to your generation and the younger generation, this is becoming quite normal, you know, to switch careers, take a break. Um, Todd, you know this, you know, yep. to yep. change change jobs, change companies, and do something fun in between. And, and you never know, the fun thing you're doing in between may turn out to be like the best job you ever had that you didn't know even existed yeah what i'm hearing is i'm going to be a podcast host for the rest of my life i think that's what I'm <laughs> hearing right now. yeah well i mean exactly when podcasts <laughs> came out i was like who the hell watches 
listens to a bunch of people talk for an hour. And then as you know, right. like t- Ted talks and stuff like that. I mean, it's become a whole industry. I mean, you, and my sister, my sister, every time I talk to her, my sister's a psychiatrist in LA and uh, you know, she walks a lot and exercises and she's always talking. I, she must spend like six hours a day and she's an incredibly intelligent, well-educated person. And she loves podcasts. So yeah. Todd, I'm going to flip this on you because as he talks about, taking the chance you had a wildly successful career within the corporate world and now you've been taking a chance you've been doing things differently so what kind of perspective has this given you in this time between jobs spending time with family travels you name it yeah i I actually think it reinforces um some of the things that um i've embraced about this process Uh, it it's incredibly scary to leave a place after 20 years and not know what the future holds uh it's you know it's also though comforting to know that there are people out here like Vivek um, and others that I've, you know, I've known for years who've taken a similar path that I'm on now um, who have switched gears, you know, after a long time at one place have taken a risk in trying something new um, and, you know, putting yourself out there. It's, it's hard, but I think uh, it reinforces to me the importance of the journey and just seeing it as an opportunity to, invest in yourself um, and, you know, to, to push yourself outside your comfort zone. We talk a lot about it, but it's, it's times like this where you really get a valuable opportunity to do it. Um, And so it just gives me confidence, I think, um, to know that you can do these things, you know, after 20 years at a place and in the middle of your career uh, and come out of the other side, um, knowing a lot more about yourself and finding success. Hmm. I love the way you worded that. It is always a self-discovery journey. And I no think doubt. you really have to make the time to think deeper, to be self-aware, to have experiences that put you in a different position because the comfort zone is there for a reason. It's easy to fall into the comfort zone and do what you know and what you're comfortable in because you're good at it. You know how to operate. It's hard to continually take chances. So Vivek, you, you talked earlier on about your ability in using your experiences in life to be able to connect with people you've certainly taken that into your experience as a professor. And I'm going to embarrass you for just a second here. As I was doing my research for this episode, I I found a website that wasn't around when I was a student. I wish it had been because I've known a hell of a lot more about my professors, but this website (laughs) rateMyProfessors.com, I found the ratings for you um, in the law department at the university of Wisconsin lacrosse. And uh, I just, summarize it all by saying 96% of your students who rated you on this website uh, would take your class again or a class with you again. You have a 4.8 out of five quality rating. And I'll just quickly summarize some of the comments by saying um, what I read a lot was you have an incredible ability to connect with students. You use humor in your class. You're very relatable. You know a tremendous amount about your subject matter and you're very passionate about what you do. So I just want to know, how, how do you inspire so many students and, and how have you gotten that level of followership from the kids who attend your class? I'll just talk about academics in general. <clears throat> they tend to talk down to students. Um, and that is not just like Todd, as a parent, and I'm sure you'll be a great dad. I'm sure Johnny will be, too. You know, you can ask my son sitting here. You know, you don't talk down to kids. You do not. They're little adults. They just happen to be a bit younger. Okay. They're as smart as you are. They're actually a lot less 
hypocritical. They see through hypocrisy. Don't ever lie to kids. It's kind of the same thing with college students. I mean, too many professors talk down to them, treat them as just because they don't. I mean, I am the same person I was when I was a college student. I just happened to be a lot older and have experienced a lot more. So uh, that doesn't make me smarter than them. That doesn't make me more knowledgeable. I mean, it makes me just older than them, and that's chronological. So I, I think that comes through. Humor, I mean, humor, I think you guys know. I mean, in any position in life, humor helps. I mean, humor is the breaker of ice. So I'm sure, you know, Todd and John, you know, in the corporate world, I mean, you know, you you can get you can get people to do what you want them to do by first of all being nice about it and secondly kind of like oh shucks we're all in this together type thing <clears throat> for academics how much you understand and learn is what's most important mm-hmm. not how much you memorize or how much you can spit out rote learning wise and all of i always joke all of life is application um and that's especially i teach again this is discipline by discipline so obviously the way i teach is different from a biology professor or something like that but first of all i find teaching business to be kind of silly as a concept right from the get-go um yeah you kind of learn it on the job um but you know it's all life is all application life is not theory so um and i think my students like me because they're fair you know i mean i think the fact they like me is not a compliment to me it's a compliment to my students that they're that level-headed and they know they're not stupid. And this is where, again, like working-class students, I always ask every semester, how many of you all are working away through school? How many have a job? And it's it's always a vast majority. So they, they're in the workplace. They have already been in the workplace. They have bosses. They know who the evil rogues are. And so, therefore, you know, they're not going to put up with it in the classroom either. <laughs> and uh, so it's really a compliment to them that they can see through all the bullshit and they know who actually cares, you know, or actually, you know, which emperor is wearing clothes and which one is not. I mean, <laughs> Vivek, I'd like to hop in on that because you have been so relatable being a student of yours and having the fortune to study underneath you. There's something you touched on, just the human aspect, whether it be accredited to your time on the streets growing up, a cultural experience from across different worldly views, your time in corporate world, whatever you attribute it to, or just you as a human being you treat others as human beings themselves. And I think that's what's so relatable. You have such a level of authenticity to yourself where it doesn't come across as power tripping or, hey, let me tell you everything I know. It's, we're in this together, let's learn together because it is about that learning you take away from it and not that grade you get in an exam. So I'm gonna compliment you because it was a pleasure to learn underneath you and continue to be. Well, I will, I will deflect that compliment and I'll, I'll my father, Dada, if you're listening somewhere, <laughs> I'm gonna send that one to my dad. Because I, I definitely learned um, a lot of that from my dad. He, he was, he, he was like I said, I fought with him about lots of things. But, you know, in his own way, he was, he was incredible. And my mom, I'm not in any way dissing my mom. My mom, humor, that was my mother. Is, uh, is Rohan there? Close by? Yeah, he's right here. All right, so we've talked a lot about your parents. But I want to hear from Rohan on what kind of dad Vivek is. <laughs> All right. Um... I don't know, like good. What's like, the best thing about what's the best thing about your dad? Um, he's really like laid back. Um like 
You mean like he trusts me that I'll like do all of my schoolwork and stuff, and then therefore I like do. Love that. Yeah, I, I already can tell the sense of pride your dad has in the kind of student you are. Um, and I have a sense of pride in what you're doing, too, since you and I went to the same middle school, um, Lincoln, <laughs> Lincoln Middle School in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Um, and, and OK, what's what's the one thing your dad has to work on, Rohan? Um, basketball skills. <laughs> <laughs> Coming at him. He's sore. He still hasn't beaten me, and he broke my finger last time we played. Oh man! No, because you made you made a bad call, and then you well, it was kind of my fault. To put a bow on this, Vivek, I, I I would I would love any advice you have for people that might be going through some adversity in their lives. I think you've you, the the set of experiences you have are unlike too many people I know. I just is there anything you want to impart in terms of guidance or wisdom for people that might be going through some struggles themselves? I want to try to try to stay avoid cliches, but sometimes cliches exist for a reason, just like stereotypes. I mean, you know, everything shall pass. Have a sense of humor. Um, maintain a sense of humor. And, you know, generally people go through a tough thing of times in life because, you know, I, I can think the best about humans. However, that doesn't make me Pollyanna-ish. And most of the time the struggles that people have is because they're dealing with downright rotten human beings often or situations caused by rotten human beings and you know be patient you know people get their comeuppance if they're bad and good people are rewarded and i'm not religious in any way whatsoever i'm not i'm not an atheist i'm agnostic but you know be patient that's something i've struggled with when you're younger often you're very impatient when you get older that's the only benefit of age is that you kind of you got to be a little bit patient and adversity is adversity. And also, again, another cliche, like for me, sometimes what you think is an adversity actually will turn out to be like, wow, you know, and some of the best things that have happened in my life have actually come from some of the worst things. So be patient. You never know what the hell is going to happen. So, I mean, that's what I'll say. Um, and then I'll put a bow on this. You guys <laughs> should be podcasters i'm serious ron and i were just talking in the break which is like both of us are wondering like hmm what's this gonna be like and both of us <laughs> you know in that in the 90 seconds that i took we we're like hey this is really cool um <laughs> no seriously you guys are onto something well we'll pay it back to you because we appreciate you being on we have fun with these conversations and appreciate yeah, your realness no no you, you guys are definitely onto something because i don't watch a lot of podcasts but you know, there's a lot of podcast like kind of cliche going around, but I think you yeah. guys are up to something, which is a lot of very ordinary people have had very extraordinarily interesting lives, um, and and you know, a lot of podcasts focus on yeah, so Elon Musk, you know, whatever. I mean, whereas actually, there's all sorts of cool people like all around us, you know, like both you guys, you both have interesting stories. Where at least Todd, only talking to you for one hour, you know, I mean. Plus, it's still going on. Let's see what happens. So yeah. yeah, well, thank you, and that that does reinforce what we're trying to do here because your story is incredible, and and I, I would say that our our job is to help you to tell that story and others to tell their story, and for others to take inspiration from that, and you know, insights from that, and things they can apply in their own lives. Um, and so, thank you for that plug because it's been a passion project, and we're very proud of what we've done so far. And this episode is going to be another. Another great example of what we can do.
Ah, Vivek. It is always refreshing in a way to have a conversation with Vivek because I take away a new perspective and I always admire the level of adversity he's gone through and the way he's allowed that to push himself forward into the person that he is today. But Todd, I know you would grab beers with him actually last week, having the conversation here with him today, taking away some nuggets of wisdom. What's it all about? Oh man, so much I could reflect on and reference right now, but I'll try to distill it down into two things. Number one is what we talked about a little bit earlier uh, regarding the opportunity that we all have at times to take a risk. And, you know, he was very eloquent in the way that he described his journey from a powerful law firm and a high paying job in LA to moving into academia and moving to Turkey and the courage that it must have taken in order to do that and to have enough self-awareness to know that even though he was deemed successful by a lot of people, he wasn't feeling that level of success himself in the balance that he had in his life. And he was seeing situations where, um, you know, that, that was taking its toll on people and didn't want to be another one of those cautionary tales. And I give him a lot of credit for that. I think about my own experience right now of, you know, moving into the next chapter of my career in my life and, and the risks associated with that and how much discomfort there is. So I can really appreciate and uh, empathize with what, what he's, uh, what he's done. And I, I thought that was incredibly insightful from him. The second point I'll make is, is the reference he made to adversity being sometimes the best opportunities in your life. And we're all facing adversity at times in our lives. No, no one has it easy. I, I always say everyone has their shit and people go through th different things at different points in their lives. Adversity can hold you back or can propel you forward. And I was just inspired by his commentary on that. I really am, you know, uh, just really respect his ability to turn some very negative experiences in his life, living out of his car, um, you know, being essentially homeless while he was in college um, the, the, the adversity he faced with his girlfriend dying at a very young age and just the change in his life that that represented to me um, is things that are very difficult to overcome. And he did it. And uh, I think it just serves as a, an example for all of us that even the worst times can can uh, move you forward. And uh, so I, I, I loved uh, his insights today. And I, I hope our listeners take some things away from it as well. Mm. So that's a wrap. Subscribe if you've been liking the content out here. Appreciate anybody who's taking the time to continue to listen to these podcasts. You know where to get a hold of us. And again, we are out.